I'm not pulling my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another Drive to Work at Home Edition. So I like to use my time at home to do interviews. So today I have Jeremy Geist with me. Hey, Jeremy. Hello. Pleased to be here. Uh, you know, 10 years ago when I started listening to Drive to Work, I never really expected I would be on it. Well, hey, the, the, everyone's dream. One day you too could be on uh, Drive to Work. So let's talk a little bit about how you got to Wizards, and then we'll talk about the com- the theme of the day is the Wilds of Eldraine Commander decks that you worked on. So we will get to that in a second. But I just want to fill people in. How did you get from someone listening to Drive to Work to somebody on to Drive to Work? Yeah, absolutely. So um, as a lead-up to the story, for um, Unstable, I wanted to go into the pre-release blind. So I didn't read anything about Magic for like three or four weeks prior to the pre-release. So then I went and played at it, and then I was like, I'm going to catch up on all of the Magic news. And then I looked and I saw that they had announced the Great Designer Search 3 several weeks ago. Um, and that was the beginning. I entered the GDS 3 and um, I did extremely well. And I, yeah, after that I was on Magic's Radar. Yeah, so uh, basically you came in second. Uh, Ari Nee won, won the uh, Great Designer Search 3. Um, and then what happened was you did a lot of freelance projects for a while. You did, did deck building and such, right? Yes, in fact, um, the contract work I did was the Brawl decks for the original Throne of Eldraine. So I thought it was extremely funny that I worked on the Alela deck, and then I came to Wizards, and the first thing they asked me to work on was a multiplayer Alela deck for an Eldraine set. Okay, so I believe this is the first work you did that is seeing... I mean, not, not your... Not the work you did before you came full-time at Wizards, but from being full-time at Wizards, this is the first work you've done that's public? Uh, first work I've done that's public is the March the Machine Jumpstart Packs, which I think are most notable for the cards Siroc and Goreclaw now. This is the first thing I did when I arrived at Wizards. Okay, so we're going to dive in deep and talk about it. So there, there are two Commander decks, um, so which one we'd like to talk about first? Uh, why don't we start with the green-white one, Virtue and Valor? Okay, so talk about... How did this deck get made? What was the ideas behind it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I worked on this product with Corey Bowen as the lead. Corey is responsible for many other of the um, pre-made commander decks attached to sets. Uh, so the first thing he did uh, was we looked at all of the two-color pairs um, that were in Wilds of Eldraine and to see if any of those would make appealing um, commander decks. Uh, so what we eventually settled on was, uh, green-white, uh, rolls, because rolls were the big marquee mechanic in Wilds of Eldraine, um, and we thought it would be great blown out into a commander deck. And then, uh, blue-black fairies as well, because, you know, people love fairies, um, and they don't have quite enough support to be an effective commander deck, so we thought that would be something that people would want and would really add to the format. Okay, so we, let's start with the green-white deck. Um, so when you want to build around a mechanic... What, what is the essence? Like, okay, you want to build it on rolls. What do you need to do to make that happen? Yeah, absolutely. So one of it is just sheer numbers. Um, you know, a commander deck has somewhere in the range of like um, 55 to 59 uh, individual cards that aren't lands. Um, so you need to just make sure there's the density. And then the other thing uh, when building around a new mechanic is to make sure that it is large enough, I guess, that it's impactful enough to the table that um, it makes sense to run it in Commander. And that was something that was a little difficult about rolls because most of the rolls are plus one, plus one, and like a minor bonus, like Ward 1 or something like that. So 
Um, we decided to go in the direction of this is a general auras matter deck, um, and we have some cards that create roles, but broadly speaking, it is a enchant your creatures theme and not specifically a roles theme. And I, I would note that I, this is usually true that any one set making a brand new mechanic, it is hard to generate enough cards that you can solely build a commander deck around it. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of um, pre-made commander decks that were built around a mechanic often um, care about other things than that specific mechanic uh, so that you can include cards that were previously made. Like there was a... Um, uh, like in Zendikar Rising, there was a... Instead of a party deck, there was a, a, a rogues deck. And there were plenty of rogues in Magic's history that... Um, but there hadn't really been a deck built around them. So that was a more... Um, functional direction than having, you know, five or six cards that care about party. Yeah, backward compatibility is pretty important. So whenever you guys are building commander stuff, you want to make sure that you go broader than just whatever the main theme is. Yeah, absolutely. Both because that's the actual way to make a functional pre-con deck, but also to give people tools to put into decks that they already own. Okay, so let's start by talking about the commander. Who is the commander of this deck? So the commander is Elvir of the Wild Court. Uh, it is two green-white for a legendary human knight. Uh, whenever Elvir enters the battlefield or attacks, you create a virtuous roll token attached to another target creature you control. Um, virtuous is plus one, plus one for each enchantment you control. And then whenever an enchanted creature you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. So I'm gonna, uh, and This is a brand a new roll. I just make sure people understand this. When you say a virtuous, it's, it was made for the commander decks. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one thing we really wanted out of this commander um, was the first thing we did when we sat down to work on this deck was let's make a commander only role that's, you know, bigger in size and impact than the ones in the main set. Uh, so we shuffled around which one we wanted. Um, a normal role in the main set is worth maybe like half a mana or a quarter of a mana. So we wanted this one to be worth around one mana. Um, we tried curiosity. I think we tried a couple of other things, but um this is essentially like ethereal armor, we were calling it. Um, and this played pretty well because, like, I feel like the goal of an Aura's deck is just to have enormous creatures crashing into your opponents. Uh, and so just having the ability to make really big Auras built into your commander is the most natural way to make it appealing. Okay, what other... So what else did you... Uh, how many cards do you get when you make a commander deck? At least these commander decks. How many new cards did you get? Uh, we get 10 new cards. Um, I believe that is counting the... Yeah, 10 new cards counting the commander and the backup commander. Okay. Uh, let's see. Do you want to talk about the backup commander? Yeah, absolutely. The backup commander is Gilwain, casting director. Um, when Gilwain or another non-token creature enters the battlefield under your control, you choose one, you create a royal roll token attached to that creature, a sorcerer roll token attached to that creature, or a monster roll token attached to that creature. Uh, all three of those tokens grant plus one, plus one to the creature they enchant, uh, and then they all grant different abilities. So royal is ward one, sorcerer is when you attack, you scry one, and monster is trample. Um, Corey and I were both theater kids in high school. We did Shakespeare. So I pitched a casting director who just hands out a bunch of roles to your other creatures, and we were both really enamored with the idea, and it made it all the way through the design process and ended up in print. Uh, so this also displays the other way to take a mechanic that might not be impactful enough for Commander and make it appropriate, which is you just make a ton of tokens. Um, 
and I've been seeing people having fun with what's essentially an enchantress commander that um, you don't actually have to run that many enchantments. You can just run creatures that care about enchantments or being enchanted, and Gilwain will just give you a bunch of free auras. So I'm just curious, just so the audience understands. So there always is a main commander and a backup commander. Is the philosophy yeah. different between those two? Yeah, usually the backup commander's goal is to give you a sideways way to play the deck. Um, so you can swap them in. It won't be necessarily interchangeable depending on the deck. Um, in some of them, the backup commander will not be as suitable for the deck, but the goal is for both of them to be, you can have a fun time, and they both do similar things. Okay, so you have 10 cards. Obviously, you do the main commander, you do the backup commander. What do you tend to use the other new cards to do? Yeah, so uh, this is Corey's process. I don't know how other commander leads do this, but um, the first thing we did was we built decks pretending we didn't get any new cards besides the commander. Uh, then we playtested them, and then we said, what holes in these deck lists are missing that we don't have existing cards for and that we can create new cards for? Um, so in green-white, you know, anyone who's played a deck with auras know that auras are card disadvantage. If your creature with an aura on it is removed, then you've basically lost two cards. So one of our goals is just to have a lot of recursion, lots of ways to get your auras back from the graveyard. Um, and this is incidentally also why Elvir lets you draw cards when your enchanted creatures deal combat damage to your opponent, just to make sure you will always have something to do during the game. Okay, are there any of the cards you made you want to talk about of the, of the new cards? for? Yeah, the, the absolutely. Library? One I'd really like to talk about is Liberated Livestock. Um, this is five and a white for a four, six catbird ox. Um, when it dies, you create a one, one cat with lifelink, a one, one bird with flying and a two, four ox. And then for each of those tokens, you can put an aura from your hand or graveyard onto the battlefield attached to it. Uh, liberated livestock is, um, is a top down design based on the town musicians of Bremen, uh, which is a grim fairy tale about a bunch of farm animals that, um, sort of, like, stand on each other's shoulders in a tower and then go around um, stopping robbers and uh, saving the day. Uh, I thought it was a very charming story. Uh, it is not as well-known in the U.S. as a lot of other fairy tales. Um, uh, it's that not are unknown. I, I did know, I did know yeah. it, for example, so it's not an unknown it's, story. Yeah. But yeah, it's not unknown, but it's less well-known than, like, Snow White or um, Sleeping Beauty or something like oh, that. sure, sure. Yeah, so... Um, but the reason I felt confident putting this into the pre-con is because even if you don't know the story, it's a very cute top-down design of, like, three animals, and when it quote-unquote dies, they just split up and you have to, like, deal with all three of them now. Um, and that's, you know, you talk about lenticular design a lot, which is, um, to someone who doesn't have a trained eye for it, it's one thing, and for someone, like, who knows a lot more, it's another thing. And I think you can do that with flavor as well. Um, my great example is Hundred-Handed One in Original Theros. If you don't know the mythology, it's still a very funny design that can block 100 creatures. And if you do know enough about Greek mythology to know about the 100-handed ones, you really um, you really appreciate that they did such a deep cut. Okay, any other cards from this deck? Yeah, let me look. Um, yeah, I also wanted to talk about Ox Drover. Um, I'm focusing on ox cards today, I suppose. This is three and a white for a human peasant uh, with vigilance. It can't be blocked by oxen. And when it enters the battlefield or attacks, target opponent creates a 2-4 white ox and you draw a card. Um, one thing we like to do with commander precons is reuse tokens, um, both tokens that existed in prior products and 
just having a lot of cards that make the same token because we're limited in the number we can have in the deck. Uh, so Liberated Livestock was an early include in the deck. And then um, the thing that's so clever about Ox Rover, it's a very charming top-down design. Uh, this is a Corey Bowen design um, that you reuses tools that we already had access to. Like, we didn't need to do anything more because we already had Ox, an Ox token in the deck. Yeah. Um, but it uses the token in a completely different way. It's one of my favorite cards in the deck. Okay, any any other cards before or we want to move on to the other deck? All right, I think that is about it for the green-white deck. Okay, so let's talk about the origin of the blue-black deck. All right, well, um, I think it's an interesting quirk of history that fairies, which is in popular perception a very, like, whimsical, like, childlike creature uh, that, you know, appeals appeals more to, like, small children, became the face of, like, highly competitive, spiky control players. <laughs> um and, you know, since their original release in Lorwyn, fairies have just become very popular among the magic community. Um, but because a lot of these fairies are small and tempo-oriented, um, they making a commander deck around them has, theoret has historically been difficult. So one thing we aim to do with this deck is to make a deck that not only filled out the number of fairies um, that you just had in general, but also had commander-sized ones that would impact the board in a meaningful way. Uh, in fact... Nine out of the ten new cards either are fairies or make fairy tokens. Uh, the only one that doesn't is Misleading Signpost, which I'll talk about after we go over the commanders. Okay, so who who is the main commander? The main commander is Tegwell, Duke of Splendor. This is one blue-black for a fairy noble with flying and death touch. Other fairies you control get plus one, plus one. And whenever another fairy you control dies, you draw a card and you lose one life. Um, I'd actually like to talk about Tegwell in context with the backup commander, who is Alayla Cunning Conqueror. Uh, two blue-black for a 2-4 fairy warlock with flying. Whenever you cast your first spell during each opponent's turn, create a 1-1 black fairy rogue creature token with flying. And whenever one or more fairies you control deal combat damage to a player, go target creature that player controls. So Alayla was originally going to be the face commander for a long time. Um, in set design for this product, after I had left, um, Tegwell was created as a much more straightforward, like, play whichever fairies you want in the deck. This is just a generally good card you don't have to do a lot of difficult sequencing or playing you can just you know have fun with fairies uh which i think is generally more appropriate to be a face commander because this product is often used as onboarding for new players um i would describe this decision as similar to the neo kamigawa white blue vehicles pre-con where um the face commander was very straightforward you know your vehicles are cheaper to crew so you can just put big ones in the deck and then the backup commander was a vehicle that could be your commander and had a very open-ended play style. So that was more appealing to enfranchised players, and I think it was a great choice as a backup um, a backup commander, but the face was something that would be very easy to pilot, so to speak. Now, when you're making a commander, here's a, I, know we, I know we've learned a lot over the years. Yeah. What do you think makes for a good commander? Um... Different people will have different philosophies. Some people like commanders that are very open-ended and that they can um, do whatever they want with. Some people like things that are more directional. Uh, I would say a good commander incentivizes you to build a deck that you wouldn't build without it existing. Um, it's something where you look at your cards and recontextualize them and say, oh, I've never had a reason to use this specific card before or like this specific theme before, and now I can build around it and have a fun time. 
Yeah, one of the things I know we've learned over the years, because we've been doing Commander decks for a while now, is I think we lean more toward niche designs, you know, uh, yeah. a niche design in that, right, this is not just a good stuff where you just, you know, it's just the best version of it, and everybody will just play that one. It's like, it does something specific, and if you want to do that specific thing, it's really good, but it's making you build a very particular deck, not just a generally good card. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it can be fun to unite themes as well. Like, fairies and flash are a very common combination in the history of magic. So, Alayla, you could build a, like, deck with a lot of fairies in it, or you could build a deck with a lot of instants in it and fewer fairies. But it incentivizes two things that don't 100% go together all the time. Um, and so I think that makes for a unique deck as well. Okay, so do you, want, you said you want to talk about some of the cards in the deck. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll start with the one I mentioned previously, Misleading Signpost. This is two and a blue for an artifact with Flash. Um, when it enters the battlefield during the Declare Attacker step, you can reselect which player or permanent target attacking creature is attacking, uh, and it taps for blue. So um, Misleading Signpost is uh, one of my favorite kinds of cards to design, which is the three-mana rock with a color on it. Um, previous examples of this include Midnight Clock, Cursed Mirror, uh, crowded Crypt, things like that. Um, because three mana for something that taps for one mana is a little bit undercosted. it means you can have a powerful effect on it, um, and you can make them really unique. For Misleading Signpost, as I mentioned, Alayla was intended to be the face commander for a while, so we wanted to include a mana rock that had flash. So I was talking with Corey, and I asked, what's an effect that is really fun but is too low impact for people to usually put into their deck? And Corey's a big fan of the card Portal Mage, which is a creature that also does the thing Misleading Signpost does. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the nice thing about Mana Rocks as well, is that you can justify putting them into your deck because they provide you with more mana. So um, we were able to add this effect, which is fun, but if you just have it on a you know otherwise vanilla 2-2, it might not feel worth putting into your deck. Um, and now you can have fun with this and sort of eat your vegetables at the same time, so to speak, because you're still um, adding ramp to your deck. So this uh, uh, question I'm curious... This card yeah. clearly, like, is meant for multiplayer play. Um, how much, when you're designing cards, are you leaning into multiplayer play? And how much are you trying to design cards that you know could have functioned beyond just multiplayer play? Yeah, um, we focus primarily on multiplayer for this product. Um, we don't go into this intending to make cards that are very effective in one versus one. Um, obviously, like, in any Commander game, you will be down to two players eventually so we try not to make cards that are um only 100 percent effective when there's four people on the board but um we don't particularly feel like it's a problem if the card is better in the early game when there's more than two players okay uh what other card any other cards in this deck you want to chat about yeah, I'd love to talk about Shadow Puppeteers. This is six and a blue for a 4-4 uh, Fairy Wizard with Flying in Ward 2. Uh, when Shadow Puppeteers enters the battlefield, create two 1-1 one, one Black Fairy Rogue creature tokens with Flying. And whenever a creature you control with Flying attacks, you may have it become a Red Dragon with base power and toughness 4-4 four, four in addition to its other colors and types until end of turn. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that's interesting about this card. Um, the most obvious thing is that as I mentioned before, part of the goal of this deck was to make commander-sized fairies. This is, you know, the largest commander-sized fairy in the deck. It's It costs seven mana. If you have a lot of 1-1 one, one fairy tokens around, you can win the game with it when you play it. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up was the 
Um, trinket text, that is what we call, you know, text that usually doesn't matter, but is there for flavor or to be charming, um, of turning your fairies into a red dragon. Um, I feel like one of the goals of magic design is to make cards that are not only like effective in game, but emotionally impactful things that you can remember after the game is over. So, um, although this card would have been a totally functional game piece without, adding the color and type saying, you know, I use the shadow puppeteers to make all of my fairies look like dragons. And then I attacked is just a more exciting thing to talk about. Uh, and that's something that I personally focus on very hard when I'm designing cards. Um, no, it, I, it's very important. I don't think people realize the part of design, right. Is the very functional, like make them make it work mechanically in the game. But part of it is, hey, I'm presenting a, a, a piece of art that I want to have a story and I want to have impact and I want to have impact in the game. And that's, yeah, we spend a lot of time on that. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite trinket texts that I often use as inspiration is um, Eye Gouge, which I believe was from Journey into Nyx, which is uh, an instant that is minus one, minus one to a creature, but if it's a Cyclops, you destroy it. Um, I just think that's the perfect, like, it's obvious what this trinket text is about. Um, it's extremely cute and makes you laugh when you read the card. And it's on something that would otherwise be, you know, a role player in Limited, and then you would forget about it. Okay, are there any other cards here? Yeah. Um, Malleable Imposter. This is another Cory design. This is three and a blue for a fairy shapeshifter uh, with flash and flying. And you can enter it, have it enter the battlefield as a copy of a creature and opponent controls, except it's a fairy shapeshifter in addition to its other types, and it has flying. Um, I'm personally very fond of clone effects. Um, in Commander, I feel like one of the goals of Commander is to give you a unique game every time. Uh, I mean, Magic is built around the concept that you have a unique game every time, but um, oftentimes in 60-card constructed, you play, you know, several hundred games of the same deck, and you start to fall into patterns um, because commander is singleton and you're playing with four people. Um, it's easier to say every game is going to be different, even if you have, you know, a couple of decks that you cycle through and being able to interact with your opponent's cards through this or through effects like Gaunti Lord of Luxury, which steals cards from the top of your opponent's deck, I think make the game a lot more interesting because it'll produce combinations that you wouldn't be able to produce with your deck alone. And I like the fact that it both copies something, but yet still is a fairy for all your fairy shenanigans. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That was something else that was important, which you don't want to have friction between um, I want a cool creature and I want a fairy. This can do um, this can do both things for you, and you can just have fun with it. Okay, any other cards? Yeah. Um, Tegwell Scouring, four black, black for a sorcery. Uh, you can cast it as though it had flash by tapping three untapped creatures you control with flying in addition to paying its other costs. Uh, destroy all creatures, create three 1-1 one, one black fairy rogue creature tokens with flying. Uh, so something I wanted to talk about with this is that fairies is a narrow typal theme. So um, in order to make the cards more appealing to people who don't like fairies, we had some cards that care about things that are more broad than fairies. Um, both Tegwell Scouring and Shadow Puppeteers previously only cared if the creature had flying or not. Uh, it doesn't necessarily care that they're fairies, although fairies are a very common 1-1 one, one flying token that you can make a lot of. So yeah, I would say those two cards are most effective with fairies. Um, but we didn't want Tegwell Scouring to be a specific fairies-only card. Um, this is something that you can put in other decks that might happen to make tokens that have flying. Um, cards with a lot of like 
decks with a lot of like afterlife cards from uh, Ravnica Legions, for instance, uh, which made one one flying spirits. Um, so you you would be able to find novel ways of including it into a deck. Okay. Any other cards? Uh, that is about it from the fairy deck. So let me ask you a question. Something that's come up on my blog. So I will ask you as as one of the people yeah. that made the deck. Um. How much do you balance previous themes of something when you're making a new deck with that theme? Uh, the good example is, if you look at some of the old fairy decks, being a rogue matters a bit, but not all the fairies are rogues. So how do you balance doing new things with balancing old mechanical elements? That's an interesting question. Um, I would say I don't want to be beholden exactly to what decks were doing in the past, especially if it was something that didn't produce fun gameplay. But nostalgia is a very important... Even nostalgia for sets from like two years ago is an important factor in making magic decks appealing. Uh, and I think the more charming callbacks you can put into a commander precon, the more appealing it'll be to a larger group of people. Um, in this case, there were a lot of... Um, I don't remember the name of the mechanic, but there were a lot of cards from Morning Tide that cared about rogues specifically dealing damage to a, to Prowl, a player. And Prowl, I believe, is probably, the mechanic, right? Yeah, Prowl. And I, um, one of the most iconic fairy cards is Bitter Blossom, which produces fairy rogue tokens. So since it, since it wasn't really a... Um, it wasn't really a burden to just choose, let's do the fairy rogue tokens from Bitter Blossom over the blue fairy tokens from original Eldraine, and um, it'll be appealing to people who like to play with Bitter Blossom, then uh, it basically felt like a free include in that case. So here's a, a general question, not about these two specific decks, but just about building sure. commander decks in general, which is, I mean, you, what, what, what might not the average person think about? Like when you make a, a when you're building a commander deck, what, what is something that's really important to the design that maybe the, makes the end product makes them happier, but maybe they're not thinking about something that we have to do. Like, what, what are the behind-the-scenes things we have to think about that you don't think the players consciously really uh, think about? We actually design Commander Precons with different requirements than what I think an average Commander deck looks like. Um, one of the more obvious ones that I've seen people talk about before in design context is we don't include tutors uh, for anything other than basic lands. Um, because a lot of the times these decks are played by just taking them out of the box and shuffling them and starting a game. So by asking you to search your library that you have never seen before for cards that you don't know which one you want, um, that's frustrating for the player who's looking and it takes a large amount of time. Um, something more subtle is I would say we generally have less removal um, in these decks than might be in an average commander deck for someone who follows deck building guides from places like the Command Zone. Um, just because having all of your creatures removed is, again, a very frustrating experience. So even if someone plays a threat and it goes unchecked if you're using a precon, that will still produce a more entertaining game experience than if everyone is blowing up everyone else's permanence. Um, so how much... And, okay, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, finish your thought. Oh, we also tend to include more lands than average just because we don't want non-games. We just want to... Um, even if you occasionally draw more lands than you'd like, we just want you to be able to, you know, play your cards early game and get your commander out. How much playtesting goes on between the two decks? Like, how how, yeah. how much are they built to play each other? Yeah, uh, 
pretty much 100% of the playtesting for these products is done um, against each other. In fact, we had tested a couple more themes by taking those themes and these two that you see here and building decks and putting them in the what we call the biodome against each other and seeing which ones were the most fun. Uh, with two decks, uh, usually what we would do is we would just have the face commander and the backup commander uh, in the playtest. We pretty much always play with four people. So you would have a Tegwell deck and an Alayla deck, which use the same deck list, and an Elevir deck and a Gilwain deck, which also use the same deck list. Uh, and you would put those against each other. Uh, casual play design will often take these commanders and test them in a broader environment uh, without using the precons, in addition to using precon testing. And being able to do that has been um, has been really helpful, and I'm really grateful for the casual play design team for um, being able to make these commanders um, being able to test them in wider contexts. Okay, so we are almost done here because I can see my desk. Um, any final thoughts about uh, the making of these commander decks? Uh, I think these decks reflect a play pattern that I really enjoy in games where like, the sides are very different, asymmetric games, where one side is very tricky and controlling and like tries to manipulate the whole battlefield subtly. And the other one is just crashing into the first player, like not thinking about it, like full steam ahead, no breaks. Uh, I think those are two very different play styles that different people belong to. And uh, I'm really happy that these two decks are so like dramatically different in how you'd like to play. Well, I want to thank you for joining us today, Jeremy. It is fun talking about uh, making the commander decks. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you so much. And hopefully it lived up to uh, your... your uh... Uh, to being on uh, Drive to Work, so. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So anyway, guys, um, right. was that? go ahead, Jerry. Oh, no, that's it for me. Um, I just want to say to everybody, I'm, I can see my desk, so we all know what that means. It means this is the end of my Drive to Work, so instead of talking magic, it's time for me to make magic. Uh, I want to thank Jeremy with being, for being with us today, uh, and I will see all of you guys next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>